Hello, everyone. Welcome. We made it. It is 2023, and boy, does it suck. We're not. We're barely a week into it, and uh, it's not going well. It is not going well. Don't think that's too much of a controversial sentiment at this point. Hello. This is the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I am Robert Winfrey. I am your host, as usual. Been a while. Been, uh, been a little bit, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about for a while. And then, well, I was always scheduled to come back at this particular episode. And now there's just a bunch of stuff to talk about that came about pretty recently. Um, a lot of it not good. A lot of it is not very good. So, with that in mind, anything you can do to help the program, like, comment, subscribe... That's at all relevant. Star rating, written review, whatever your podcast platform of choice allows you to do, anything you can do to help the show, always grateful. If you've done any at all of that, please share us around. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell a stranger. I'm not that picky. Anyone you think might enjoy the program, point them my direction. If you happen to have an enemy that you think I will annoy, point them in my direction. Uh, if this you're new to the show and someone has pointed you at me, well, I sincerely hope they gave the, they pointed you to me in good faith, that you would enjoy me. If you find me annoying, well, you might have to deal with that other person in your life then. But that's on you, not on me. <laughs> All right. Tonight, what do we got? We're going to preview the upcoming UFC event, their first event for 2023. We're going to do that first. Then we're going to do the 2020 year in review kind of stuff. Um... I mentioned this on the last show. I normally keep a pretty detailed list of my potential nominees for various awards, but I lost a bunch of that when I had to replace my computer partway through the year, and I kind of threw up my hands because I thought that whole thing was up to date and saved in a safe location, and it wasn't, and, well... So... My response, uh, so I didn't write out, normally I would. The last several years I've written one out. I won't be writing one out this year. I should again for 2023. Uh, I'm going to start up my list again, keep my nominations fresh, so we'll be on the lookout for that. Uh, but we'll go over that. Some of my, you know, my, one, what do I do, like fighter of the year, breakout fighter, um, fight, knockout, submission, etc., etc., so... We will be on the lookout, so we'll be talking about that. Then, we have to talk about some less pleasant material. And... Yeah, so we'll, we'll start positive, and then we'll... As positive as I can be. I'm not a very positive person as a general rule, but... We'll be as positive as I can be, then we will talk... About the state of mixed martial arts and some of the stuff going on in it, and it's not—it's not great. Like I said, all right. Well, preamble out of the way. Let's get into it. UFC on ESPN Plus 75 coming your way this Saturday, January 14th, from the UFC Apex. Hooray! They really need to be done with that. Uh, I know the UFC was planning on trying to phase it out. They really need to be done with this. Um, it's nice to have, like, I, I, I don't hate the Apex. I hate when they put, like, 50 people in the Apex, or, you know, whatever the number is. 
if you're going to be quiet about it, let me just enjoy the quiet. I don't need to hear, like, a handful of drunk people responding to things. Like, that's not enough people to actually generate an atmosphere, and it is enough to kind of ruin the actual experience of, of like, watching and analyzing things. So. And everywhere else is back to normal at this point, so I don't quite know what they're doing, but they're still using the Apex for some of this, so... Here we are. Anyway, main event. Uh, for his first main event, we have Nostrodine Imavov taking on in his, like, seventh main event, Calvin Gastelum. Now, normally, one might favor the more experienced fighter. Here's the problem with talking about Calvin Gastelum. Hang on, how many main events is this for him? I'm going to double-check this, actually, because... His first was that fight with Magny. That was 2015. Um, so that's one. The Belfort fight is two. The Weidman fight is three. The Bisbing fight is four. Then five Whitaker, and then six Cannoneer. Yeah, this is seven. This is seven. Uh, anyway. I... I don't know that I can pick Kelvin Gastelum at this point. The man is 1-5 and five in his last six fights. Now, in fairness, let's run through these losses in chronological order. Lost in the interim middleweight title fight with Israel Adesanya in 2019, the 2019 fight of the year. One of the best fights you'll ever see. That's maybe the best version of Gastelum that's ever stepped into the cage. So, he lost to Adesanya, who, long-time champion, might regain the belt. Um, you know, no shame in losing to Israel Adesanya. Loses a split decision to Darren Till. I can't remember how I scored that live, but it was competitive. And people thought, maybe Darren Till isn't completely washed. Or this might have been, like, the rebirth of Darren Till now that he's potentially moving up to middleweight more consistently. Whatever, still 2019. 2020, he has one fight. He fights Jack Hermanson, and he gets heel-hooked inside of a minute and a half. It's one minute and 18 seconds. Jack Hermanson may never be champion, may never be, like, top five in the world, certainly certainly won't be top three, but he's a good fighter. All right, it's an unfortunate setback, but you kind of understand. So three in a row, not good, but... You lost to the guy who went on to become champion and went on to, you know, be one of the best middleweights we've ever seen. You had a close fight with an up with, you know, Darren Till, who people still weren't, you know, down on necessarily. And a top ranked guy in Jack Hermanson got the better of you. It's not great, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Then he fights Ian Heinish in kind of a get well fight, and he wins a unanimous decision. Then he loses a unanimous decision to Robert Whitaker. No shame, right? Bobby Knuckles is awesome. He's arguably the best middleweight in the world. Uh, might become champion again. In fact, if he gets first crack at uh, Alex Pereira, I kind of favor him. But another loss. Then he fights Jared Cannonier, top guy in the world. Another loss. There is a level of competition here that needs to be acknowledged in terms of, well, he's losing a lot of fights. Yes, he is. 
He's not losing to Scrubs. Apart from maybe Darren Till. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Uh, but he's fighting guys, you know, who's... He won the easiest fight of that group. That would be the Heinish fight. Like, the rest of those are all still highly regarded middleweights. Apart from Till. Till is... Yeah, Till's rough. But Hermanson's still, you know, still top 10. Adesanya's top 3. Whitaker's top 3. Cannoneer's top 5, I believe. So we're still dealing with, you know, guys at the very top, but Gastelum's been doing this for a while. His professional debut was 2010. So we're over 10 years. We're 25 fights in. I don't... This is going to be... This is his, like, shot at changing the narrative. Because Nasruddin Imavov is a very, very good fight. A good fighter. He's Russian, trains out of France. He trains with, I believe he trains with Fernand Lopez, who trains um, Cyril Ghosn, among others. Um, Imavov only has one loss in the UFC. That was a majority decision to Phil Hawes. He's finished two of his last three opponents, stopping both Ian Heinish and Edmund Shabazian, last beating Joaquin Buckley. But this is a pretty significant step up for him. Um, his UFC career goes Jordan Williams, Phil Hawes, Ian Heinish, Edmund Shabazian, Joaquin Buckley. Pretty steady, reasonable escalation along the way. But as listed, you know, Kelvin Gastelum is, for all of his shortcomings, he's battle-tested. He's gone five rounds multiple times. He's been in there with the very best. Am I talking myself into Gastelum here? I might be. I don't think I am, but I might be. Anyway. So this is a pretty... It's a non-trivial step up for Imavov. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Gastelum is better than Heine Shabajian and Buckley. It's his first main event, which could be a kind of an X factor here. He struggled a little bit down the stretch against Buckley. Uh, I think he gave away that third round. So if he starts fading that badly against Kelvin Gastelum, he'll, he'll be in trouble. He'll be in real trouble. Uh, that said... Imavov has good movement. He's a long guy, and Gastelum is a short middleweight. I mean, he wasn't exactly a tall welterweight when he was fighting at that weight class, so... That's going to be a hurdle for him to overcome, but Gastelum's fought enough guys who are, you know, rangier than he is to have some methods of dealing with it. Um... I'm still going to lean towards Imavov here, but this is very speculative on my part. Um, again, a couple of things to keep in mind. First five-rounder for Imavov. That's a big deal. A step up in competition. Gastelum is not easily deterred. Gastelum can fight for five rounds. Um, Gastelum is faced the much better level of opposition. That's not a controversial sentiment. So, this is pretty close. But... This was do or, this is a little bit do or die for Gastelum in terms of, hey, you're a top guy. If you can't beat Imavov here, you're not a top guy. That's just reality. Sorry. 
Imavov's good. I don't mean that losing to him makes you a scrub. Because you're not a scrub at all. But you're not one of the best. Like You're no longer you know, upper tier middleweight at that point. Especially with everything else that's gone on with Gastelum lately. That's, that's kind of a big deal. So, yeah, I'm leaning towards Imavov, but that's a slight lean. And would not be, I'm not going to be surprised if Gastelum pulls it off, but there's a little bit of potential for that fight. I expect that it's going to, there's going to be long stretches of that that are not very interesting, though. Just heads up. Um, Imavov, not much of an action fighter the majority of the time, but Gastelum will force the issue, so. Things to be on the lookout for in that fight. Uh, Gastelum's cage cutting will be very important if he's able to do so. Um, Imavov moves a lot. So, the wrestling, the wrestling will be interesting. Imavov has decent wrestling, but Gastelum, you know, I think Gastelum's probably the better wrestler. So, my thoughts there. Co-main event, Dan Ige and Damon Jackson. This is a pretty good fight, actually. Um, Ige's been around the top for a while. Unfortunately, he's in a bad spot. He is 1-4 in his last five. Now, again, we've got a level of opposition to consider here. He had the split decision win over Edson Barboza in 2020. That, a lot of people thought Barboza should have won. Doing it live, I scored it for Ige. Rewatching it, I thought Barboza took it. Whatever that's worth. He loses a main event against Calvin Cater after that. Pretty good fight. But, you know, Cater just better. He knocks out Gavin Tucker. Really good knockout, actually. Then he loses to Chan Sung Jung in 2021, uh, which set up Jung fighting for the title, actually. Uh, loses a unanimous decision to Josh Emmett, who is fighting for the interim belt next, and then loses to Movsar Vloyev, who is one of the better up-and-comers in the division. So, the, the zombie loss is the one that ought to stick out to you, um, because... Emmett and Evloyev, you almost, I think I picked against Ige in both of those fights. I think I picked him to beat the zombie. <laughs> so that's the one that ought to maybe give you some pause. Um, and Jackson is a longtime veteran. He's on a really good run. His only loss since coming... He returned to the... Since returning to the UFC. Returned to the UFC in 2020. His only loss during that time is to Ilya Teporia, who, good grief, did that man knock down some doors last year, huh? I mean, sheesh. Uh, he's on a four-fight winning streak, with, um, including a couple of finishes. Uh, the finish over Pat Sabatini that he had uh, September of last year. It was a little bit injury-related, but he put a beating on the guy. So, Jackson's coming on. Ige might have peaked. This is kind of a tough one. Ige's got a good jab, and he's got decent power, and Jackson is a bit hittable. But Jackson's also durable. He's good about wearing on you. He's good about wearing you down. I think I'm going to lean towards Jackson here, but... That's the second time. I'm kind of getting a little bit speculative here. 
a little bit optimistic about the about his chances. Um, Ige might just be too technical and too consistent in that respect for him, and we'll just kind of wear him down and beat him up at distance. That's very, very possible. Apologies. If, I'm going to repeat what I just said in case that didn't pick up on my mic. That weird thing there. I'm um, putting ahead of Soriano versus Roman Kopulov. Uh, Soriano's been a bit up and down in the UFC. But... Let's see. Coming off a win, I mean, it's Dolce Lungiambula, who looks impressive, but he's not really a UFC-caliber fighter. Whereas Kopulov... He's looked pretty darn good, actually, in the UFC. He's... Isn't he undefeated in the UFC? No? Oh, right, 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 right. He is 1-2 in the UFC. He's looked okay. Losses to Carl Robertson and Albert Duraev. Coming off a win over Alessio DiCirico. Um, Was I confusing Copulove with someone? I think I was. Anyway, um... This is actually a tougher fight. Um, I think Copulov's a bit more technical, but Soriano is kind of a hammer. I think I'm going to go with Soriano here, but um, just a little bit. Let's see, women's bantamweight, Ketlin Vieira and Raquel Pennington. Fairly easy pick for Vieira here. Um, Pennington, she's on a decent winning streak. Uh, four in a row over Marion Renault, Panny Kianzad, Macy Chesson, and Aspen Ladd. Um, Chesson was giving her the business before she caught that guillotine. Ladd, I mean, that was when Ladd left, basically. But Vieira is... She doesn't have a lot of losses. She's on a two-fight winning streak. Beating Misha Tate and Holly Holm. I thought Holly beat her, but it was close enough that I wasn't up in arms over it. I'm going to pick Vieira here. I, I don't really pick Raquel at this point, which seems more dismissive of her abilities than I mean it to. Uh, I'm picking Vieira. Um, best fight on the card, where I sit. Bantamweight, Umar Nurmagomedov and Hani Barcelos. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, Barcelos only has a couple of losses in the UFC. Uh, coming off a win over Trevin Jones. And Umar Nurmagomedov, I believe, undefeated. Yeah, 15-0, 3-0 in the UFC. Wins over Sergei Morozov, Brian Kelleher, and Nate Maness. Um, I like Barcelos a lot. Uh, he's got a lot of ability. But Umar Nurmagomedov is, that dude is on the rise, and I think this is his fight. Um, but this is a really, really good fight. Good fight to kick off the main card. My, the one I'm looking forward to the most on the whole card. So, let's see. As for the prelims, we have Abdul Razak Al-Hassan against Claudio Hiberio. Uh, that's probably Al-Hassan. I mean, he's coming off of that uh, been out for a while, actually, almost a year. 
Um, what happened there? See, because did he have a... He was supposed to fight in 2022. Had some issue of pulling out of a fight with Jamie Pickett. I nothing in particular here. Um, he's one and four in his last five losses to Manir Lazez, Chaos Williams, Jacob Malkoon, and Joaquin Buckley. His only win is over Alessio De Chirico. Um I believe this is Hiberio's UFC debut. I'm going to double-check that. I'm 90% sure, because I, I don't know him. Yeah, he's 10-2. and two. Yeah, this is his UFC debut. Coming off a win in the Contender Series. He's on a pretty good winning streak, actually. What is that? Six? Yeah, six in a row. Beat anybody of note? Uh, Marcus Vinicius uh, is a name I know. Hmm. Uh, we're not quite in, like, win-or-go-home territory for Al-Hassan, but he needs a win. I mean, he had weight issues at welterweight. He's now at middleweight. Um, I think I'm going to pick Hiberio. It's a little bit speculative, but I'm going to go with that. Lightweight. Oh, here we are into the guys making their promotional debuts. Isn't that fun? So, let's see. Next up we have Mateus uh, Rebecki. I apologize for mispronouncing that gentleman's name. Good record. 16-1. and one. Wait a minute. I know this guy. I might have seen this guy fight once or twice. Uh, he has a win over Magomed Magomedov. Which Magomed Magomedov is that? One second. Okay, this is Cobra Magomed Magomedov. No, not the other Magomed Magomedov. Um, I think I saw his fight with Felipe Maya. I saw the finish. That was a 15-second fight. He just ran over the guy. Um, I did see his win on the Contender Series. I didn't watch the fight, but I saw the finish. Uh, his win over Rodrigo Lido. Lidio. Um, Mateo's here. Uh, again, Rebecca. Uh, I'm going to figure out how they pronounce that appropriately and then do so. In the f I apologize if I'm doing it wrong. He's taking on Nick Fior, uh, who's undefeated, 6-0. and uh, What's he done? Anything I've... I don't think I've seen anything from him. No, he's coming in from, uh, not even from the Contender Series. He's coming in from Combat Zone, which is a perfectly fine regional promotion. Um, seems like not a complete gimme, but um, that's a little bit of a... Uh, they're showing their hand a little bit with, with this booking. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to Fior, he might win. But Rebecca seems like the guy that they are they expect to win this one. Uh, let's see, next we are at Bantamweight. We have Javid Basharat and Mateos uh, Mendesona. Probably mispronouncing that gentleman, Mendonsa. Mendonsa? I apologize, I know I'm butchering this guy's name. 
Um, Mendoza is undefeated, 10-0. Coming up the Contender Series. Nothing stands out to me there. And Basarat is 2-0 in the UFC. Um, I think his brother is the one who's 1-0. Wins over Trevin Jones and Tony Gravely. Certainly nothing to sneeze at. Um, that's not a bad fight. That's actually not a bad fight for a couple of, you know, up-and-coming guys. So I think I'm going to lean towards Basarat. Basarat's got an insane frame for bantamweight. Um, Javed, because his brother's the one who's a little bit different, but I believe Javed is like, yeah, he's like 5'9". And for 135 pounds, that's a giant. Uh, down to flyweight for Alan Nascimento and Carlos Hernandez. See, Nascimento uh, has n- has fought a couple of times in the UFC. He's one and one. Coming off, of, he lost to Tiger Ulanbekov, and he's coming off a win over Jake Hadley. Hernandez, I believe, is making his debut. He is eight and one. No, he's not. Who did he fight? He's been out for again about a year. He fought um in February. He beat Victor Altamariano. I vaguely recall that fight. I think I scored that for Altamariano, actually. Um, uh, gonna pick Nascimento there. Uh, featherweights: Daniel Ar- um, Argueta and Isak Dulgarian. There's probably ways to pronounce. They're both Americans, so there might be some weird pronunciations there. I apologize. Um. Argueta is 0-1 in the UFC. He lost to Damon Jackson. Uh, Dolgarian is a promotional debut. Yes, yes. Uh, he's also been out of action for about a year. A lot of guys fought in February and then haven't fought since. Um, hmm. Probably... What do we figure? I might lean towards Dolgarian there just a little bit. I'm not sure, though. Um, Flyweight, Jimmy Flick is back. Uh, He briefly retired after his last fight. Uh, That was in December December of 2020. Um, Had a canceled fight with Francisco Figueiredo. Had a fight with Jeff Molina fall through. Now he's fighting Charles Johnson here. Um, Johnson... One and one in the UFC, lost to Mohamed Makayev. Uh, then he had that split decision win over Zalgas Zumagulov, and I remember that fight. I did not think he won at all. Uh, that was in November. Uh, pretty safe. I feel pretty safe picking Flick. And then kicking everything off, we have women's flyweight Priscilla Kashweya and Sejara Eubanks. Who could possibly care? Um, I don't know. I don't think Hashway should be in the UFC after how she's conducted herself, so I, I'll pick Eubanks, I guess. But I don't know for sure. That's that's a that's a who knows. So that's the event. Again, it will be Saturday in the. Uh, at the UFC Apex, I'll be covering it in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So stop by, say hello. Always appreciate that. Again, not a 
not a big preview there, but we're getting back into the swing of things. UFC 283 is the next is the week after, so we'll do a more in-depth preview next week. Uh, all right, let's let's talk about the year that was for my you know, kind of year in review. So uh, such as it's going to be. Um, we want to start fighter. Let's start with fighter of the year. So this was a two-horse race. I think most people have it as one of these the two guys that I kind of nearly get that I thought about. Um, there were some some shout outs here are due um, Islam Makashev for what he did to Charles Oliveira in his year. Uh, he had a good year. Francis Ngannou only had the one fight, but defending the title the way he did and then uh, the situation with him being what it is definitely deserving of nom- of some acknowledgement. Uh, Zhang Weili regained... I don't separate this into male and female fighter of the year. Um, if I did, Zhang would be uh, the female fighter of the year, I think, pretty easily. Uh, but also, you know, I mentioned to you know, Juliana Pena pulling off the big upset and then losing immediately. Or, you know, credit to Nunes for bouncing back from a loss and regaining the belt. Um, but ultimately, again, kind of a two-horse race here. Between Alex Pereira and Alexander Volkanovsky. And personally, I'm giving it to Volkanovsky. I'll talk more about Pereira in a minute, but let me focus on Volkanovsky here. He only had two fights. And normally you like more, but a lot of guys were all over the place this year, which opened up the field a little bit. Volkanovsky had a couple of things going for him. One, both title fights. Both wins. And here's what kind of does it for me. And if you gave this to Pereira, I don't blame you. All right? There's a there's a very real argument for him. And it's one that I respect. Here, But I'm going with Volkanovsky for the following reason. Not only did he win both of his fights. Not only did he defend his title twice. Not only did he end the year announcing he's going up to lightweight to fight for that belt which I don't know how much you want to count that, but it's something there to kind of wait. He didn't lose a round all year. Now, that first fight when he beat the Korean zombie, we all kind of knew what that was. I have a lot of, again, I don't dislike the zombie. I don't mean to insult him. I'm not trying to insult him. But we all knew, like, we all knew what that was. The fact that it was as even more lopsided than a lot of us expected, uh, that's very telling. It's very telling. I mean, he basically beat that man into retirement. What cinches it for me is the second fight. His second fight of 2022 was the, re- the third fight, the trilogy fight with Max Holloway. Now, their first fight was very competitive, but I didn't think it was all that close. I've always scored that for Volkanovski. Um, three to two. Uh, but, you know, competitive fight, but Volkanovski's fight. Their second fight remains one of those fights that just... Razor's edge, man. Um, live, I scored that for Volk. Rewatching it, I've still scored it for Volkanovski. However... Rewatch like has made that fight even closer. That fight is as close as you can get. 
Uh, and that's what Volkanovsky had the kind of weight of. A lot of people thought he lost. And you know, Max Holloway, I seem to recall, followed up that second their second fight with you know, the brilliant win over Calvin Cater. Then he fought Yair Rodriguez. Uh, there's a, there was a lot of stuff that kind of felt like it might be in Max's corner. And for Volkanovsky to, in the face of all of that, go out there against Max freaking Holloway and pitch a shutout, like, and not even a very close shutout. Like, it's not just that you can't give Holloway a round, it's that none of them are even, like, there were no 10-8s, be very clear. There was nothing that decisive, but and not, not nothing that dominant. But there was none of none of those rounds were like, I don't know, maybe Max got that one. That was that was Volkanovski's fight from the word go. And to completely shut down Max Holloway. I mean, think about this for a second. I don't think Conor McGregor shut him down completely. That was years ago. Uh, Dustin Poirier didn't shut him down completely. Dustin Poirier dropped at least one, if not two, rounds when he fought Max Holloway. The first two fights with Volkanovski, Holloway won rounds. To completely shut down that guy? That... That's impressive in ways that I don't think a lot of people... Because of some of the stuff surrounding what happened there... I don't think enough people really remember or really give the credit to Volkanovsky that he deserves for that fight. We need to, that performance needs to be talked about more because it's that impressive. So he's my fighter of the year for 2022. If you gave it to Pereira, I don't disagree. It's the only way I'm going to phrase it. All right. So speaking of Pereira, let's talk about the breakout fighter. 2022 because that is for my money Alex Pereira in a runaway you have some other very good fighters in this category Patty Pimblett burst onto the scene Mateusz Gamrot got some big wins Ilya Taporia speaking of guys just you know beating down the doors um, Jack Della Maddalena looking like the next big thing you had a lot of very talented guys you had a lot of very talented guys but for me, I mean, it's weird to call Alex Pereira the breakout star considering his long history and glory. But he went from, you know, a guy who was somewhat notable as someone who had beaten Israel Adesanya. I mean, I know he's more known for more than that, but kickboxing doesn't have a very big footprint. I'm sorry. I like it. I like kickboxing. But it just, it, it, and that sounds like you can't you sell tickets. You can sell tickets. Like, Glory is a good organization. I don't wish ill on them or anything. But you don't find a lot of kickboxing content. It, there's not a lot of, again, there's not a really big audience. It's got a very, it's got a very invested audience, but that's not very big. And for him to come into MMA and to do what he did as quickly as he did it, um, yeah, it's darn impressive. Like that guy, that guy absolutely broke through any possible barrier. And he went from an interesting character in kickboxing 
to the middleweight champion of the UFC and stopped Israel Adesanya. Again, Adesanya to that point undefeated at middleweight in the UFC, in MMA, in all of MMA. And he was losing that fight. Um, I had Adesanya up three rounds to one going into the fifth. And for him to dig deep and to kind of find that, find this kill shot the way he did, deeply impressive. Deeply impressive. Uh, he is easily the breakout breakout fighter for 2022. Um, again, shout-outs to Patty Pimblett, Ilya Teporia, Jack Della Maddalena, a lot of talented guys. A lot of... And, frankly, if Pereira had lost to Adesanya, this probably would have gone to Teporia. Like, the way he closed out 2022, like, that guy... That's the guy to watch. At featherweight. That's the guy to watch. Is he lightweight? Can't I remember? No, he's featherweight. He's featherweight. So. Uh, fight of the year. We had some high-quality violence last year. Can we take a second and appreciate that? Like, it, the UFC... It didn't have the best year ever. Like, th- there were some idiots doing it. It's 2020 year, the worst year in UFC history. And anyone who's been around for more than two years just laughed. Like, sorry, guys, I was here, like, the early aughts, or the late aughts, rather, not the early aughts. Later aughts, some of the teens. I remember there were a couple of years when the UFC couldn't seem to keep a main event together for love or money. It was injuries, it was drug failure, like, the, no. Like, was 2022 a down year? You could argue, and you could argue successfully. Was it... Anywhere near the worst year in UFC history? No, was it the? It wasn't the worst year in the last like five years for the UFC, to be candid. There was nothing. There was no big transcendent fight or transcendent moment. That's very true. But you know, to so when I say it was a down year, like you know, buzz-wise, market-wise, like general hype, yeah, a little bit down. There was no, you know, big John Jones return. There was no, you know, Connor. None of the big, like, superstars on top of the world. But wasn't bad. And we had some really good fights. You had Kevin Holland and Stephen Thompson turn in a late candidate. Uh, Kamzat Shemaev and Gilbert Burns having just a dogfight. The utter insanity of Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. <laughs> that fight's nuts. I mean, the fight that took place right after that one is darn good. That was um, Shane Burgos and Billy Quarantillo. That's a really good fight. Fight of the year, however, um, was not terribly... Despite all that, this wasn't hard to choose. Fight of the year for me, Yuri Prohachka and Glover Teixeira. What a madhouse of a fight. I have not seen an MMA fight, maybe ever, certainly not in a long time, with that many momentum swings, with that much insanity. That was just balls-to-the-wall nuts from start to finish. And my hat is off to both gentlemen. That was a crazy fight. Um... That's the most entertaining light heavyweight title fight ever. You could argue it's the best flat out ever. I think it's a little bit sloppy 
in places and doesn't quite surpass uh, the first fight between Gustafson and Jones. But your individual mileage will vary. Um, crazy fight. Wildly entertaining. Momentum swings. Violence. Late finish from the guy losing. Like, you couldn't ask for a... like. Pro wrestling aspires to be that. Right? And I don't mean that to knock pro wrestling. I mean that to praise this fight. So, again, there were plenty of other high-quality fights. That's your fight of the year. And I don't think it's that close. Knockout of the year. This one was... This one was a little bit of a... Of a I went back and forth on this one. Um... It's kind of a two-horse race. There were some good knockouts. There were some brutal knockouts. I don't want to... I can't go through all of them here. But there were some... The two that I debated the most. Michael Chandler and that front kick to Tony Ferguson. That... I mean, Tony dropped like a marionette with the strings cut. And my eventual winner. Because of everything else that was going on within the fight. The head kick from Leon Edwards to Kamaru Usman. Um, just a lovely, lovely head kick. Down in the fight, uh, had lost four. Uh, he had lost. He won the first round, but had lost two, three, and four pretty decisively. Wasn't mounting much. Looked defeated. In the depths of you know personal hell and the depths of giving up and being ready to quit mentally to find that opening to I mean just finding the fortitude to fire that weapon at all when you're that behind on points when you're that physically drained when you're that mentally drained a lot of guys just won't even throw he threw a kill shot and absolutely my hat is off to him like that was a that was a heck of a thing to pull off. It was a beautiful knockout. It down on the cards to win the title. Uh, my knockout of the year. If you gave it to you know Chandler and Ferguson, that one might have been more brutal in some respects because yeesh. But with the totality of everything, I'm Chandler. I'm Edwards and Usman here. Um, lovely head kick from Leon Edwards. Submission of the year. This was a funky one. We had some choices. I mean, Charles Oliveira had a couple of really nice rear naked chokes. Jessica Andrade hit that, um, really nice standing arm triangle against Amanda Lamosh. But we had some funkiness in the submission department. I mean, there were some nice heel hooks throughout the year, like, um... There should have been one from Roman Delid. Oh, Roman Delid say, geez, as my like potential breakout fighter, he should have been up there. He hit that really weird, um, sort of like modified heel hook that should have ended the fight when he fought Phil Hawes. That wound up being a knockout. Uh, but so, there was a lot. But Bellator gave us some truly funky submissions. And I did, and you know me, like I like the weirdness. And, 
I mean, there was some great regional stuff, too. There was a Japanese triangle that I saw. Um, I forget the fight promotion, but uh, Kaposa or Grabaka Hitman posted, like, hey, what what is this? And Josh Barnett had a slightly different name for it, and I, I mean, I'm not here to tell Josh Barnett that he doesn't know his stuff. He's Josh Barnett. But it's a position that I'd seen before, and I recognize, like, no, that's a Japanese triangle. Um... For those of you who may not know what a Japanese triangle is, let me very briefly. Um, you generally do it from side control. And you want to get, like, your your armpit against the other guy's armpit. So, like, lat to lat. Then um, your... So if I were to do this, like... So if my left arm is closer to your head. My left arm wraps around your neck from there, so... You're on your chest. I'm kind of on. I'm on top and side control. And instead of, uh, so my, you can head down. It's not quite an arm triangle, because instead of trapping the arm, instead of like getting my arm around your head and your arm, I go over like I'm kind of trying to overhook your arm. And instead of overhooking the arm, I go all the way around the head. Hands together. So I've got the arm across the neck, and then I can kind of leverage into the into your arm for a little for a bit of control and to kind of tighten things up. It's I've always heard it called a Japanese triangle. Uh, it's hard to describe just with words. Like I could sh I could demonstrate it visually, but I obviously can't do that in an auditory medium. Um, so we saw one of those, which I had rarely seen in the wild. We had so the two from Bellator that really struck me. Um, and I got him back and forth on this one. Oliver Endcamp hit a really nice inverted triangle. This was mistakenly called a buggy choke, which we saw several of this year too, by the way. Um, in fact, if you were, uh, I don't know if Jack Slack will do this, but if he's, if you were to give something his breakout technique of the year, like the prevalence of the buggy choke in MMA should be, should probably be that, because that's made a pretty big, uh, it showed up in MMA a lot. But Oliver Endcamp hit a really nice kind of inverted triangle in Bellator, and you don't see those very often. I mean, triangle chokes in and of themselves are a rarity these days. Inverted like that? It's very rare. Very rare. And then there was whatever the heck Luca Pocklet uh, hit on Dante uh, Citro. Sircho. I still don't know what the heck that thing was. Um, I'm probably going to go with that one just for the sheer weirdness of it. Look it up. Um, it was from Bellator. Which Bellator event? Hang on, I will find out. Uh, 285. Bellator 285. Um, yeah, Luca Pokleet and Dante Sircho. Man, what a again, what a wild submission! I still don't know what that thing is. So yeah, uh, I think that's it as far as my potential year-end discussion there. So uh, next year, the end of 2023, hopefully better, hopefully better. Again, my notes will be in better order and hopefully not evaporated into the ether. So all right. Well, that thus ends the positive section of this episode.
Um, let me talk about this real fast. Um, so news broke on Christmas Day. Um, this was this was after I'd done my last my last podcast for 2022. But news broke Christmas Day that Stefan Bonner, uh, longtime UFC veteran, uh, longtime kind of fixture in the MMA space, part of one of the more important fights in UFC history, I don't know that I say it's the most important fight, but if you haven't seen the first fight between Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner, do yourself a favor, look it up. Uh, Stefan Bonner passed away at the age of 45. And I'd known the guy was in a little bit of trouble. Some of his social media stuff had not been great. Um, he was clearly... It was clearly hurting. Um, this just... It just sucks, man. Uh, current... I believe the current kind of discussion around like cause of death was some kind of heart, heart complication. <sighs> Guys, I'm going to talk a little bit... You know what? No. I'm going to... I'm going to talk about this now, and then I'll... This is going to touch on something I'm going to talk about in a minute or two, but let's... Let me just go over this now. I'd hoped we'd all learned. You know, MMA, as a sport, MMA fans, the people, you know, whatever you want to call the totality of this space. I had really hoped we wouldn't have to learn this lesson the hard way. I really had. You know, MMA has... has such a weird crossover appeal of, like, its its fan base. It comes from, like, equal parts professional wrestling and uh, boxing and you know, places like that. There's, you know, when the UFC was gaining ground, you know, part of what led it to a lot of success, and this gets overstated a little bit, mind you, but a non-trivial part of it was the first season of The Ultimate Fighter that aired right after Monday Night Raw. This was when the uh, WWE was on Spike TV. And there was a lot of crossover between professional wrestling fans and MMA fans. I don't know how much that's still true, but it certainly was for a while, and it probably still is to a degree. And again, you've got some disaffected boxing fans that came around now. Again, this is like how the UFC gained popularity. A lot of disaffected boxing fans kind of came over uh, who were just sick of the state of boxing and the boxing politics and everything at the, again, especially like the, you know, the late 2000s, the early 2010s. Uh, yeah. And you'd think drawing on the experiences of those two and some other stuff, that there's a bunch of lessons we could have learned already. You'd think. I I've been down this road, guys. If you, I imagine a bunch of you have. We've been down this road before. When... You guys might remember this, especially if you were a wrestling fan at the time, but there was a period of about three to five years when a bunch of professional wrestlers were dropping dead in their mid-40s. 
right? Like early to mid 40s. Should not have been happening. By all rights. And yet there they were. From some combination of brain damage, CTE, you know, however we want to couch it up, and drug use, be that like anabolic steroids or you have other kind of PEDs in that respect, or alcohol and cocaine and all the other crap that they were doing. And I mean, you'd, you'd like to have thought that maybe professional wrestling would have learned its lesson before the, you know, the two, th- before the like late 2000s, early 2010s, mind you. But apparently we just needed a bunch of stuff right in a row, some of it higher profile. Yeah, because there was a lo- there was a rapid period of time when it was it was Bam Bam Bigelow wasn't that old it was Mike Awesome wasn't that old Zeddy Guerrero Chris Benoit like all of that you'd think maybe we could have learned something you'd think maybe we could have learned something from boxing hmm maybe where some of the greatest fighters in boxing history wound up broke because of unfair labor practices. You ever want to see you ever want to hear something really sad and I mean this. Read about Joe Lewis's later life. Maybe the best boxer, maybe the best heavyweight boxer ever. You can argue it. A, a hero and I don't use that term lightly. Joe Lewis was a hero to people. And look at what happened to his later life because of the financial positions he got stuck in. It's ugly, man. It's ugly. I mean, what happened to Joe Lewis is part of the reason that somewhat famously Rocky Marciano was as um, tight with money and as paranoid with money about money as he was. You're living through part of the Great Depression and a part of it as well. But and Joe Lewis's story was not unique. It might be a little bit more high profile in some respect, but not unique. You know, look how many of Don King's fighters wound up broke. A lot of them. A lot of them. You'd think maybe we'd have learned from that that with what with the physical price that is paid. At least financial compensation could be adequate. Speaking of the physical price. You tried talking with some old boxers? It's... They're very careful with who they put on TV. And here's Tim Bradley, who's still pretty well-spoken. And here's Lennox Lewis, who's very articulate. And here's Polly Malinaji, and you know, Polly can still talk up a storm. They don't put James Tony out there. And James Tony was a defensive master, mind you. And even he wound up, you know, talking the way he talks. So here's Have you seen Tommy Hearns lately? That man one of the one of the best ever. Have you heard him? You heard him talk lately? He's not in a good place. Not in a good place physically. Um Riddick Bow? He's Riddick Bow. Like you, you heard him lately? It's not good. It's head trauma. And you'd think 
with all the crossover, with all the mismatch, with with all the melting pot that, generally speaking, goes into generating the MMA fan base. Somewhere along the line, we would have learned. Fans and the people who make decisions might have learned, might have seen this and tried to avoid it. I, like I said, guys, I've been down this road. I've seen all the names and all the fighters and all the personalities that I liked or that I was aware of and had to deal with the story after story after story of them dead in their 40s. And for some reason, we don't want to learn. For some reason, MMA fans, fighters, management, what, whatever. For some reason, we don't want to learn. We don't want to learn from what others have done. We don't want to learn from what has come before. We could. We could have. We so easily could have. And yet, here we are. I don't like... I'm a negative... I'm a slightly more negative person in general. You may have known that about my personality. I don't like doom and gloom. I don't actually predict it very often. But... With some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about here, and the, it's coming, guys. I hate to break this to a lot of you who may not think this is coming. This is coming. That same wave of mid to late 40s, maybe early 50s fighters that you know that wind up dead or in jail, from drug abuse to, again, head trauma-related issues to whatever. And we're going to have to learn this the hard way, I guess. Really hoped we wouldn't have to. But it's coming. And it's not going to be pretty. But I think that's coming for us. In, some, in the case of some of us here, again. <sighs> so, yeah. I mean, again, Bonner was never the best guy in the world. But he was a solid fighter. Part of some important fights. Part of some good fights. Uh, he'd been dipping his toe into the world of professional wrestling. Uh... Yeah, I, I don't know. I can do nothing but express my condolences to his friends and family. Uh, shame. It's a real shame. All right. It was a downer, and I wish I could tell you it was going to get better, but, well, let's talk about Dana White. So, New Year's Eve, 2023. Well, um, this this happened New Year's Eve, but footage leaked a little bit later. There was uh, some video footage of UFC President Dana White and his wife at a New Year's Eve party, and they get into a violent altercation. There's no other way to phrase this. They're both, by their, by their public statements, um, there was alcohol involved, and I can only go off of what I of the video clip here. So let me tell you what I've seen. 
there's clearly some kind of heated exchange going on. Um, Mrs. White, I believe her first name is Anne, um, she goes to leave. They're heated. Dana White grabs her by the arm, prevents her from leaving. Her response is to slap him. He responds by smacking her a couple of times, and then they kind of the frame they kind of fall out of the line of sight because the where they where the footage is coming from. Uh, and to whatever credit you want to give Dana White for this, he's made no excuses. He's not defending himself. His wife issued a statement that claims this was out of character, that they're, please respect their privacy while they work this out. Um, so, I hate having to have this discussion. Because I'm me. Right? And what, what, I can't, I can't do the, the moral posturing here. I'm, which is, which is just to say the following. There's always the group of people... There's, there's two responses that come out of this, and I hate them both for very different reasons. One is the moral posturing that loses all nuance that says you should never hit a woman. Now, I have never... Never? Hang on. Because my memory is as good as it is, let me, and I'm not, I don't like to use absolutes unless I'm positive. Let me, let me couch this appropriately. To the best of my recollection, not, not since I was in like seventh grade has there maybe been a physical altercation involving myself and a woman. Like, again, like, you know, sixth, seventh grade. Might even have been sixth now that I think about it. And, you know, when you're that old, you know, well, like 12, you know, 12, 13, something like that, you're just, you're young and you're stupid and everyone around you is young and stupid and stupid things happen and there was not, to be abundantly clear, like this was not a full-blown fight, it was, again, I'm, my memory's a little bit hazy, but uh, it was nothing major. You know, and again, I'm not... So just so everyone understands, when I say I've never hit a woman in malici maliciously, you know, certainly since I became, like, 15. Easily. That's an easy call. Like, easy call, 15 on... Not even close. Never happened. Well, again, maliciously. Here's, here's kind of the problem. Like, I spar with women. And you might be rolling your eyes going, you know that's not what's meant yet... Yeah, but words matter. You say never, never means never. If you don't mean never, don't say never. Shouldn't be that hard, but we live in a world that doesn't appreciate language. Not the way that it, not the way that it should. So, yeah, I spar with women, and I hit them, because we're sparring. And you might, again, I, I know it's not the same. I'm not saying it's the same, please. Let me finish my point. Because when you say never, then again, never means even in sparring. I shouldn't do it. Even though that's kind of the point. 
never mean here's my take on this the only times it would be acceptable if you are violently attacked by someone who will not be deterred elsewise seems reasonable i think most people would agree it's reasonable or in defense of someone else right like if a woman comes at me with a knife i'm not going to do the you never hit a woman thing that's stupid now i've never been attacked by a woman with a knife and there's a decent enough chance that i might still you know freeze up because who thinks about like you can practice all you want the first time someone actually comes at me with a knife it's different i've been told he said no one's ever attacked me with a knife male or female but in that circumstance you you can legally defend yourself or and i've never had this happen either but i'd like to think that if i saw a woman beating the crap out of her kid a younger kid in particular i might physically intervene and doesn't always mean i go straight for like a head kick but you know might do something. Like to think that of myself. I don't know that I would, but I'd like to think I would. We'd all like to think we would. Neither of those is in play here. <laughs> okay, that, that's a long way to say this was not self-defense from Dana White. Um, to anyone claiming self-defense, you don't understand. I, you know what? Let's have this conversation very briefly too. To all of you idiots out there, do you know what self-defense is? Some of you might know this, and I, I don't mean to assume that anyone listening to this is an idiot, but the people making these arguments, like, this is not, are not well thought out. So let me ask you, and I know a couple of you will know this, because I know a couple of you personally listen to the show, and I thank you very, very much. Do you know what self-defense is? And if you thought defending yourself, that's not helpful. What is self-defense, fundamentally? The answer to those of you who don't already know it, is that it is a legal standard. That's all it is. It's a legal definition of violence. It's a category of violence. I punch someone in the face apropos of nothing. Is that self-defense? No, it's assault. I punch someone in the face who swings at me first. Is that assault or self-defense? Well, it depends. Most people might argue self-defense. And maybe you could, but that's the point. You can argue it. You argue whether or not the action falls into the legal definition of self-defense. Hitting someone back because they hit you is actually not necessarily self-defense. That might seem really weird, but it's not. Look, somebody take... If I'm... I'm going to use myself as an example here, not because I'm the biggest and the best and the baddest guy in the world, not even close. I'm well aware of that. But for the sake of conversation, let me just use me as an example here. If someone who's drunk, and I see them coming, not always the case if we're talking about real-world violence, but I see them coming, takes a swing at me. If I avoid it, trip them to the ground, get back mount, and then elbow the back of their head four or five times, is that self-defense? And... What you think, believe it or not, matters a lot less than what the legal standard is. In fact, it matters. your opinion matters not at all. What matters is the legal standard. I can tell you most places would probably consider that assault, what I just described. I would be at fault. I would be the one in jail, or at least facing charges. Now, I could argue it, but that's a bit of a tough call, isn't it? Usually with something like this, Usually with those with 
a fight, there's and that's another bit of legal like parlance. What you wind up with is like double assault charges under the conditions like mutually agreed upon combat. Which is kind of weird. Again, it's a weird way to phrase it, but from a legal perspective, there's a difference between someone swinging and defending themselves and two guys going, okay, let's take this outside, and they square up, right? Like those, We all know those aren't quite the same thing. So there is something of a legal difference between the two points. What happened between Dana White and his wife was not self-defense. Please don't argue that. It wasn't does not rise to the legal criteria. It was a fight. And for the record, because people are going to ignore... Again, this gets shouted all the time. Well, what about her hitting him first? Yeah, it's wrong. It's assault. It's a crime. It, straight up. It, that should That is not acceptable behavior. And... I'm not giving her some kind of pass. Like, that was wrong. And what Dana did was very, very wrong. Now, both of them have indicated that, again, alcohol was involved, because of course it was. As a minor aside, I tend to think the world's a better place if you don't drink. Just throwing it out there. Alcohol makes nothing better. Alcohol makes nothing better. So, they both admit, they both say alcohol was involved. Both indicate that this was the first time anything like this had happened. Now, I don't know either of them. I don't pretend to know either of them. I will tell you I am skeptical because of statistics. Okay? Now... Let me start off with the caveat. Every, there is always a first time, right? Um, and there's no getting around it. Like, if you're if you get physical with a partner like this, if you hit someone, like, sometime is going to be the first time it happens, if it happens, right? If this was indeed the first time a fight between Dana White and his wife ever got physical, this would be the world's worst case of bad luck. And I, I don't mean that, like... I, I'm not being glib. For the first time, for that kind of thing to escalate, for it to be where there's cameras, that would just be the worst luck in the world. Because something like that should never happen. And that that's, again, to both of them. Physical violence like that should not be a part of a health, is not part of health of a healthy relationship. At all. Period. Full stop. If it, if you just happen to have like the world's worst night, and it just happened to be the first time you decided to smack each other, and it just happened to be caught on camera... Again, that, that's just, that is so unlikely statistic. Again, I have no evidence. I have no direct evidence. I have circumstantial evidence. If you look at, uh, you know, how these things are reported, how often, like, by the time something like that breaks down in public, 
the vast majority of the time, something along those lines has happened in private. I Again, I speak statistically in general. So, now, as, as far as those two having, again, their fight and domestic violence, I don't know what they're going to do. That's between them. I am... That's a husband and a wife that have to sort their stuff out. And they've got kids, and again, I am not privy to the details of their life, their marriage, any of it. So they're the ones who have to sort that out. And I don't know what that entails. Frankly, uh, when I say I wish them the best on that, uh, I hope that they're able to get to a healthy place. There's kids involved, and... I just hope they're able to, whatever that means, I hope they're able to get to a healthy place. Here's where I have to talk about some other, some uh, related stuff that just annoys me. So let's talk about the response to this, shall we? In a normal, functional, healthy society... This would be condemned. I'm, I've condemned it. For whatever value you want to give my condemnation of this series of events, and it, it's my value again. My value is like nothing. But it's bad. What they both did was bad. There should be consequences. There should be repercussions. It's gross and it's disgusting and. One would certainly like to think that by the time you're 52, you'd have a bit more self-control than that, Dana. But the response to this is what has been, I think, probably the most un disturbing, maybe even. Like not just annoying, but like disturbing. The number of fighters who have come out and defended Dana White and his behavior in this area. It's a bad look, guys. It's a real bad look. You are sucking up to someone who will throw you under a bus about domestic violence in hopes of currying favor. And to one extent or another expressing your own warped perspective on the world. For a lot of you, fighters, you're not, you're willing to stay silent on things that, on some things that materially affect your life. You don't say anything about fighter pay. You don't say anything about the rev split. You don't say anything about the contract conditions and the working conditions that you are forced to endure. You don't say anything about your classification. You won't do anything about it. You will defend the UFC and its structure up and down. Bryce Mitchell um, talked a little bit about why he wound up fighting Ilya Teporia under the conditions he did. He got a, he apparently, like that fight week, had a pretty bad case of the flu. And he took that fight because his bank account was low. And he was told by the UFC brass, if you turn down this fight... 
We won't offer you another one until February. Now, again, and this guy's got bills. You won't say anything about that. And Bryce Mitchell's like, I'm not complaining about it, but this is what happened. You all have horror stories about this. I guarantee you do. Don't say anything about it. Don't say anything about that. Don't say anything about how little of the, again, how much money you have. You won't say anything about the uniform requirements. You won't say anything about anything. But suddenly you're defending Dana on the issue of his behavior related to domestic violence when Dana himself is not excusing any of this. At least in his public release. Can... I almost don't have words for this. You know, for someone like Derek Brunson to... Uh, wear a a shirt at one point that says, I beat up domestic abusers. He fought, he had like won a fight or was going to fight someone who was accused of that. And then to just go on Twitter and defend Dana White and like, no, she slapped him first, she had it coming. I'm sorry, you're a hypocrite. Or Sean O'Malley doing kind of the same bit. Guys, fighters, I beg of you, understand this. The UFC does not care. Your expressions of loyalty here are not going to be rewarded in any meaningful way. You're not actually bettering your position. All you're doing is, again, you're sucking up to an organization that does not care about you and you're exposing a demented worldview. And for a bunch of the MMA fans, by the way, I don't know that any of you are listening to this, you fall into this category, or if you are at some point, you're still listening, I thank you. Um, I'd really be, y'all were ready to heap mountains of scorn and derision and hatred upon Greg Hardy. And I'm not saying that what Greg Hardy was accused of is straight up equivalent to what happened here between Dana White and his wife. It's not. It's not a, It's not straight one-to-one. This is the other thing about, like, you never hit a woman. It removes the ability to kind of examine the circumstance and what led to it. Because all domestic violence is wrong. Okay? Let me... Because what I'm about to say shouldn't be controversial, but for some reason... So, let me start with this. It's all wrong. It's all evil. What it is. It's fundamentally an evil thing. And... None of it should ever happen. But... I don't think it's wrong or unfair to acknowledge that different circumstances are different. You can you can call it all what it is, and it's all evil, and it's all bad. And you can also say that the maniac who kicks the crap out of his wife and kids if his shirt isn't ironed right 
is not materially the same as some, as what happened between Dana White and his wife. They're, those are not the same thing, to the best of my knowledge. And I, for some reason, it's wrong to... People don't like hearing that those aren't the same thing. They're not the same thing. They're both wrong. But pretending that they're, ident- that they're the same is, again, it's a bit disingenuous. So... That is to say, you all were ready to heap a bunch of, you know, hate on Greg Hardy, and I'm not even saying you shouldn't have. I'm saying... You pulled a 180 here, didn't you? You know, there's a bunch of people who... You know what? Let me put it like this. Because for some reason, this winds up being a quasi-politicized discussion... Because for some reason the culture war is not a thing that has gone away. If this was, let's say, take the exact same scenario here, right? I mean the exact same. Man out with his wife, same camera angle, alcohol involved, heated discussion. She tries to leave. He grabs her. She slaps him. He hits her back, and then hits her again, and then again they kind of move out of frame, or out of line of sight, whatever, right? Let's take that exact same scenario and instead of Dana White put in who was it I heard in this example? Put in like Colin Kaepernick. Put in you know if your reaction is not essentially the same to someone on whatever side of the political divide you're a hypocrite. Just straight up, you are a hypocrite, and that is the kindest interpretation. There's a lot worse that could be said. And there's a bunch of, again, there's a bunch of people defending Dana. And it's gross. And look, I'm, if you want to take the approach that this was a physical dispute between a husband and wife... They seem to be essentially equally at fault. I'm content. Like, I'm not going to get on my giant high horse about this. I can just say it's wrong and it shouldn't happen. But again, like, it's not wrong to differentiate like some of the degrees of this. I'm not calling. So, but even the people. Even if that's the stance you want to take, again, one, you better have that across the board, not just for Dana White, for whatever reason. And two, it's still not necessarily, it, it, like, that's not what most people are saying. Like, they're not, ma- if that is what they're trying to say, they're making their case very, very poorly. So please, Stop. I don't know what the fallout from this is going to be. I mean, the man is on camera hitting his wife. Like, there's no ambiguity here. And, you know, more to the point, like, there's no, there's nothing approximating ambiguity from any party. 
No one's... How do I say this? No one's denying what happened. No one's disputing it. Right? Because like, sometimes that happens. You know, there's the... I mean, there was the Tank Davis fight last night. And he's facing down uh, criminal charges related to some, domest uh, some domestic violence. He's been arrested. He's got a jury trial coming up. And... I mean... Yes, yeah, Let me save that for just a second. That said, Tank has entered a plea of not guilty. So, the 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 um, the, the actions here are in dispute when it comes to that case. And again, he's gonna have his day in court, and he's gonna be judged by a jury of his peers if he doesn't make some kind of plea bargain. That's not the case here. No one's disputing what happened. And. By the way, just to everyone else, to everyone involved in an official capacity, um, you disgust me. Let me be very clear about something about, about the following here. The UFC man, the UFC entity, did not release a statement. Dana White did, and Dana White's wife did, and they're both public statements. You can read them. The UFC said nothing. The UFC's owner, Endeavor, said. Nothing. The UFC's broadcast partner, ESPN, said nothing. I know ESPN. I know what would have happened if this was someone other than Dana White. You know what would have happened if this was someone other than Dana White. Your silence on this matter, and that's what it is, your silence is deafening. You, to whatever extent you as an entity had integrity or institutional trust, it is gone. We know what happens when something like this happens with NFL players or NBA players. We know what happens when allegations are made against NFL ownership, team ownership, or the whisper of impropriety around league officials. We know what happens. We've seen it. You have a history. We can look it up. It's all there in black and white. The president of the UFC, a broadcast partner of yours, a money-making affiliate of yours, does this, and you say nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. And I don't know if that's an individual journalistic call, by the way, to all the people who work for ESPN. I'm going to assume not, because there are individuals working for that institution who have a much better track record than that. But to the editorial, the people in, with editorial purview in that respect, you are, man, you disgust me personally. 
Your silence on this matter is utterly reprehensible and completely transparent, by the way. Your hypocrisy is galling to me because I have seen you cover similar incidents in wildly different ways. And in this instance, you are choosing not to. We all know why. And apparently, well, one would think, in a sane world, in a sane world, this would be the immediate end of Dana White's Power Slap League endeavor on TBS. One would think, in a sane world. Well, the world we live in is not nearly as sane as we would all like it to be, is it? Currently, TBS simply pushed back its debut by one week. Apparently still planning to go forward with this idiocy. And by the way, again, we're starting to see some of the earlier fighters for the UFC and other major MMA organizations have the decline that boxers have had, that football players have had. And you think it's a good idea for a man on camera caught smacking his wife around to have his name over the power slap league where all these guys do is give each other brain trauma. Is this a thing we're going to do? Look, I thought that was a stupid thing and an unethical thing to begin with. Now you're crossing the... Now you're like... Now it's not just unethical. You all are being illogical. I could at least under... I could follow your logic, believe it or not. As twisted as it is, I could follow it. Now, I would like to think that the morality and the ethics of the situation would countermand your twisted logic. This is why, for those of you who don't know, this is why the, the three major um, governing forces, the three major like arguing points, are logos, pathos, and ethos. Pathos is emotion, ethos is ethics, and logos is logic. And, again, I, because if all you have is logic, if all you have is cold logic that you can twist in any number of ways, things fall apart. Because, again, logic is the logical side of your brain. Pathos is the moral, the ethics, the emotional side of your brain. Because morality and emotion go pretty close in hand. And then ethics is how you should behave, right? And... One would think that, because if all you have is any one of them, you don't actually have anything, right? If you have a purely logical society, I don't care what Gene Roddenberry thought that would lead to, it doesn't lead anywhere good. If you have a purely emotional society, it doesn't lead anywhere good. If you have a purely ethical society, you don't, you're not actually governed by the forces that help make ethics work. Because ethics is kind of, in theory, the merging of your logic and your emotions to govern behavior. So you can't actually be purely ethical. You need all three, and you need a nice balance. If, again, if you're a harmoniously balanced individual, you have a nice blend. It's one of the uh, one of the things that annoys me about the get some empathy argument. Like, one, you assume my you're assuming my empathy would lead me to the same conclusion that you did, and two, maybe you should get some logic. 
But it, anyway, one would assume that even if all you had going was your twisted logic for the power slap endeavor, that would be gone now. Like, your big face promoting this... <sighs> I can't even say it without it coming off like I'm trying to make a bad joke. Um, so, at the moment, they've postponed it a week. They're probably just hoping that this blows over. In fact, I know that's what a lot of people are hoping. That's why ESPN isn't saying anything. That's why the UFC isn't saying anything. They're hoping, give it a week, give it two weeks, and the news cycle will move on, people will forget, and we'll be back to business as usual. I can't stress this enough. To whoever is in a position to make this kind of a call as it relates to Dana White. He ne there need to be consequences for this. You... Otherwise... Because here's the reality of it. You're going to... Something like this is going to happen with a fighter on the roster. If it hasn't already, and I've just forgotten. Or, if, if again, like, Alec, you've had... You kind of have with John Jones. Again, sort of. Like, John's situation is weird. Because the evidence was always weird around it. Um, but... This is going to happen... Again, probably with fi with some fighter, and you're to the extent that you might have had some kind of moral authority. If you let nothing happen as a result of this, you are you're voiding that like immediately and forever. You're voiding that. I don't know what consequences need to be levied. Look, I'm not here saying the man sh Dana White should be fired. I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that what I saw based on and what evidence we have that necessarily warrants it. I don't. But you're really going to tell me that on the 14th of January, he's going to be back cage side. For this UFC event, he's going to do the post-fight presser, and it's all just going to go back to business as usual. You really want to do that? Because my pessimistic outlook says that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, the closest thing we got to something approximating criticism of this... Uh, I shouldn't say that. That's, that's way too broad. Of the things written about this, I think one of the ones that struck me for how... I don't know what the right word is, even. It's not just, it's not, it's not just like sycophantic. Like, what's the groveling equivalent of sycophanty? Uh, Kevin Ioli wrote this piece on Dana White after this news broke, and it's... It's almost impossible to think that someone actually wrote it, right? Like, it's so... It's so backwards. 
I mean, for crying out loud, the entire second paragraph is just fluff. And I mean that almost in, like, the pornographic sense. Like, the, the fluffer on set. Like, it's, it's disgusting. To see Ioli just falling over backwards to praise Dana White in the wake of this. But my pessimistic side indicates to me that I should be ready for severe disappointment in everyone involved. And I don't like it. I don't like it. But I'd be foolish to not acknowledge the possibility that nothing happens. That absolutely nothing comes of this. And frankly, that is. That's disheartening in a way that makes people leave the sport. Be very careful with this, everyone involved. I'm not saying that there aren't, again, there are people out there on Dana's side. And again, I am not calling for his job. I'm not saying fire the man. I don't know enough about the situation. I'm saying if you do absolutely nothing, that's uh, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing at all. Continuing our depressing segments, um, I suppose I can very... I want to talk about a couple of things here. Let me mostly do this about uh, the following. So, former UFC fighter, former Pride fighter, Phil Baroni was arrested in Mexico, allegedly, for beating his wife, uh, wife, for beating his girlfriend to death. Told you this was uh, not exactly a cheery episode. Um... I, from what I understand, and some of this is coming from, like, translated reporting, so I apologize if this is incorrect. But from what I understand, Baroni's counterclaim is that his girlfriend, there might have been having some kind of fight. She said she cheated on him, and he shoved her, and she fell into the tub and hit her head. Now, obviously, the authorities don't believe that, or they wouldn't have arrested him for murder. <laughs> But yeah, the the allegation is that he beat her to death. I don't even know what to say. I mean, again, guys, I've been down this road before. I'm not exactly a big Phil Baroni fan, right? But I've been down this road with other sports, with other... And for some reason, here we are again. Here we are again. This is a dark road, man. This is a dark, depressing road that we could have avoided. Or at least mitigated. And yet here we are. So, yeah, there's that. Um, Kind of in the same vein, 
there was video of Ilya Teporia getting into an altercation with a singer in Spain, because Teporia was, I believe, born in Georgia, but he reps Spain. I think he was raised in Spain. Or at least that's where he lives now. Now, in his case, it seemed more like, you know, this, uh, from the video, like it was just a, just a fight in a bar kind of thing. Um, not a guy you should pick a fight with, just for the record. Um, Ilya Teporia is not a man to trifle with. But, again, like, you, there's a, two things, very, very briefly, about this, and then we're going to move on. Something else also depressing, but maybe not as. Um, yeah, one, like, if you pick a fight with a professional fighter, that's going to go badly for you. Again, it's their job. They know what they're doing. Two, this relates to the previous discussion we had, but fighting and self-defense are not the same thing. Fighting is potentially a component, but it should be the last component of having to deal with physical aggression. There's a bunch of other stuff you should do before you ever have to throw a punch. Uh, avoiding is always better than fighting. And three, just kind of as a reminder, because this crops up on occasion... The transformative power of the martial arts is wildly overstated. I'm not saying the martial arts won't change you. I'm actually a believer in their transformative powers. I've seen it. What I am saying is you have to want that. You have to be open to that. Because they can make you a better person. But people take can and, ma and change it to will in ways that are not appropriate. Sometimes, I'm not accusing Ilya Tepori of this, by the way. If you are a jerk, and you take up jujitsu, if, if you don't want to be a different person, you wind up just being a jerk who knows jujitsu. Now, ideally... The instructors and the fellow classmates and whatnot provide a healthy environment and a good learning opportunity, and you don't become a and you change. You change for the better. You become less of a jerk. You gain humility. You gain actual confidence. You gain control, and you are a, again you are a better person. But if you are not open to that, it won't happen. There's a lot of fighters, a lot of professional fighters who have clearly dedicated, and oh, and by the way, just because the point I'm about to make here is, is about professional fighters, to any of you who might be listening to this going, but those aren't traditional martial arts, you really want to go down this rabbit hole with me? Do you? I don't think you do. If you're, because again, we have professional fighters who clearly, again, some of them are still jerks. And these people dedicate a giant chunk of their lives to the martial arts. And to those people who are like, but those aren't traditional. You really, here's a fun little, here's a fun little exercise for you, by the way. I think the, um, I think the McDojo Life people have this video. There's like a 15 minute compilation that is nothing but 
local news anchors saying so-and-so local martial arts instructor arrested for dot 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 usually relating to behavior with children and don't do the no true scotsman fallacy thing don't do it i know you thought it don't do it this is still a problem in the jujitsu community well-schooled championship-level competitors in the competitive jiu-jitsu world getting arrested for inappropriate behavior. You want to tell me that some of these people didn't come through good schools? You're a liar. You're a liar. And because they come from a good school, you... You cloak again. You had a little bit of the halo effect going on. You cloak them in this degree of legitimacy. Stop it. Stop it. Martial arts can make you a better person. Not a guarantee. Is not a guarantee at all. So, yeah, that was Phil Baroni. Um, okay, small news here, but starting with UFC 283, the UFC's latest price hike will go into effect. Um, the price of pay-per-views is going up another, like, 5 to 10 bucks. I forget which one. Hey, you remember, like, six years ago when Dana White said we're not going to increase our prices? <laughs> Once again, you cannot trust anything the promoter says until you have some other form of confirmation about it. And apparently my cat agrees. Um, whatever. That, that's Again, it's just kind of whatever. They're going to raise prices until the market won't bear it anymore. Sucks, but that's what they're going to do. All right, on some slightly more lighthearted news, Jake Paul has signed with the PFL. Um, he's going to be part of the um, the pay-per-view league for the PFL. And you know what? I don't hate it. I am, uh, I've said this about Logan. I've said this about Jake in the past. I've said this about plenty of other people. Let me reiterate. I am not here to vouch for Jake Paul's personality. I'm not. Here's what I am here to vouch for, though. Um, he takes what he does seriously. He would not have had the success that he has had if he didn't. So, I think he'd be a decent fit for MMA, and I think the PFL is a really good place for him, actually. They can, they can do the slow roll, right? They can give him fighters that are of an appropriate level for him to fight. And people will be interested. I mean, despite the fact that Jake Paul's been boxing, like, if you look at his fa- at the people watching those events, it's usually not boxing fans. It's a lot of MMA fans. And considering how he, you know, got his career going and the fact that he gained notoriety by antagonizing UFC fighters, and Dana White in particular, I think it worked. Um... PFL might be a good fit. 
So we will keep our eyes on that. You know what? Last thing about Jake Paul here. At this point, I half root for the guy because I know it pisses off Dana White. And you know what? I've been on the, sort of, like, as a fan, I've been on the wrong end of Dana White's pettiness. You all may not remember this. But if you do, there was a period of time when Dana White was bitter about not being able to have Fedor Emelianenko fight for the UFC. So anytime Fedor, Fedor fought and lost, Dana would just post a smiley face. As a fan of Fedor's, this annoyed me. So I feel zero emotional or moral qualms about enjoying a little bit of schadenfreude at the success of Jake Paul just annoying Dana White. I don't feel bad about that one iota. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll keep our eyes peeled on that front. All right. We've been going for a while. I'm going to check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. And I thank you very much for your patience while we waded through a few weeks' worth of material here, including some heavier stuff. All right. Nope. So, no good for plugs. A few different movie reviews to plug. Um, we reviewed Avatar, The Way of the Water, over on Damn You Hollywood, as well as All Quiet on the Western Front, which dub All Quiet on the Western Front doubled as our year-end review for 2022. That's myself and Mark Radlich. Uh This week we will be talking Megan, the horror movie that I just released. That'll be me, Mark, and I believe Jason Teasley, and we'll be talking about it on Tuesday. So tune in for that if you are so inclined, if you like my thoughts on... Um, Movies. Damn You Hollywood is a lot of fun. Uh, punch that into wherever you're listening for podcasts, and you should be able to find us. Uh, let's see, what else? I still cover mixed martial arts and professional wrestling for 411mania.com. AW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW stuff on Thursday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. So if you're interested in professional wrestling and my thoughts on the products that I review, give those a read. They're in the wrestling zone of 411mania.com. And of course... Saturday, the UFC gets back to action in the year 2023 in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. So give that a read. I will always appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. That's it for this week. We will be back here next week to review UFC on ESPN Plus 75 and preview UFC 283. Uh, You know what? It's a decent pay-per-view. It's a decent pay-per-view. Um, we'll give a full preview of that next week. And whatever craziness happens between now and then. Because, again, we're you know a little over a week into this year. And the craziness is here. Does not seem to be letting up. So we'll be here week after week, just like always. I thank you all very, very much. As always, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.